We're going to be looking in Hosea chapter 1 tonight, a message I call the scenes from a broken home. The scenes from a broken home. Hosea, of course, is the prophet of God's heart. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. May God bless the reading of His Word tonight. Is my prayer. You know, the book of Hosea is a record of God's working in the life of this faithful prophet so that his life becomes his message. His message was his life. Now, if you read some of the commentaries about the book of Hosea, you'll understand there's a variety of beliefs about Hosea and his relationship with Gomer. Uh, remember the word Gomer, though it doesn't sound much like it to us, means beautiful in Hebrew. And uh, so this was a very beautiful lady. And uh, Hosea met her and married her under the guidance and the leadership of God. Now, because Gomer would become known as a harlot, which is another word for prostitute, there are many who have looked at this whole story and said that this couldn't possibly happen. This is just a parable. Folks, I, I want to say very clearly to you, if you run across that in your study of Hosea, um, I, just, I, I don't believe that at all. I don't see a shred of indication anywhere in the book of Hosea that this was anything except a very real story. Uh, there is some credible argument that's made as to whether or not Hosea knew uh, what Gomer was, or even if she was, what she would later become when he met her and married her. In fact, some very, very prominent Bible students uh, believe that Gomer was, uh, you know, a fine young lady, uh, was faithful to her parents and faithful to her future husband, uh, that Hosea met her and married her. As we like to say, he wooed her and won her, uh, and uh, won her love and affection. Uh, under perfectly normal circumstances, but then her beauty later would cause her to be tempted and she would leave and stray. As I told you last week, when I see what God said in verse 2, it seemed very plain to me, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, God said to go uh, love a woman who is yet an adulteress. And uh, the idea seems to be very clearly presented that Hosea... Uh, knew what Gomer was. She had already gone down the wrong road and that he married her, he loved her, that God worked so that he would love her and she would love him back. I say that because Hosea, you see, was going to be the prophet of God's heart. and He was going to, by his ministry, by his marriage, by his own personal life, he was going to portray before the nation of Israel the things that Israel was doing to God and the thing that God was going to do to Israel. And to me, what fits that narrative the best is what the Bible actually presents to us very plainly, very matter-of-factly. Um, and that is that Hosea knew all about Gomer in the same way that God knows all about us. And Hosea loved her anyway, the way that God loves us. 
You see, the, this whole thing plays out in the Old Testament because God had chosen Abraham and the descendants uh, through Isaac to be a great nation, but more than just a nation, they were his people. He called them his peculiar treasure. Individually, see, God's children. He, they were God's children, and he was their father. That's individually. But when you put them collectively as a nation then, they were his wife, and he was the husband. Yet in spite of God's great love for them, Israel had repeatedly strayed to serve other gods. Their favorite was the Canaanite fertility god Baal. God responded then by sending Hosea to them with that instruction. Take yourself a wife, verse 2, of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Uh, how Hosea met and married is unknown to us. It's not revealed. But God seemed to work the impossible almost in Hosea's life, and that is that he would come to love Gomer and that Gomer would love him. Though all of this had happened, she was what she was. She had been what she had been, yet he loved her and she loved him. At first, everything seemed wonderful between Hosea and Gomer. Their home was soon blessed with a child. And God gave that little boy a name. They called him Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel is a city in ancient Israel. It sits at the, valley, at the head of a very famous valley, the Valley of Har. Har means valley in Hebrew. Megiddo, Har Megiddo, the Valley of Armageddon. Yeah, that's uh, right there at Jezreel. And uh, so... This child is specifically called Hosea's child, Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. But then sometime later, then, Gomer was expecting again. And this time, the Bible doesn't tell us that it was Hosea's child. And the little girl that was born then was named Lo-Ruhamah. And that means no mercy or no compassion. Shortly thereafter, the Bible says, as soon as she was weaned, then Gomer became pregnant again and bore a son. And this time, the scripture leaves no room for doubt. This child was named Lo-Ami. That means not mine or not my people. It's difficult for us to look in this situation without wondering and asking the whys and the hows. We know that over the 50 years of Hosea's ministry, this message and story would be told over and over and over again. As Hosea would travel around the people of Israel to go and speak before them in places where they gathered, here are his children, Jezreel, scattered, lo Ruhamah, no mercy. Lo me, not mine. Where's your wife, Hosea? I don't know. See, God was working so that Hosea's message was his life. And his life was his message. 
who's making Hosea an example to the people of Israel. And this was not unknown to him. We saw last week in our introduction to the study that God put his prophets through a lot of things in order to get their message across to his people. The writer of the book of Hebrews summarized it by saying that God has spoken in diverse manners, different ways by different men. Oh, but all then he follows that up with that great truth. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. You see, Jesus Christ cornered the market on God's revelation to us. You want to know God? You know him through Jesus Christ. But in time past, God spoke in different times and in different ways through the prophets. And all he did, he did again and again. And Hosea is one of those. The people of Israel then would see their sin playing out in vivid detail in the life of the prophet, the preacher, as this shocking story would point them toward the horrible nature of their actions toward God. But even though we know all these things, the questions are still there. We could only imagine the kind of pain that Hosea had to live with all those years. It's good to know that Hosea's pain was not pointless pain. And for the believer, it never is. It never is. But it was still very real. All the pain and all the heartache that Hosea and his children would experience could be traced to Gomer's fundamental problem. It was Israel's fundamental problem. You see, Gomer wanted to live her life to enjoy all the benefits and all the blessings of being married to Hosea so she could have all the things then that Hosea was going to give to her. While at the same time, though, so she wanted to live so that she could enjoy the benefits and blessings of being Hosea's wife, but then she wanted to live so that she could enjoy all the pleasures of sin as well. She wanted both. It was pulling her apart. It was destroying her family. Just as it was pulling Israel apart. Just as it was destroying that nation. It didn't stop in the Old Testament. Because you see the reality of it is in our world even today and in our life even today it is possible for us as God's people to want to live in such a way so that we would enjoy the benefits and blessings of having a relationship with God while still enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. The old preacher Vance Habner used to say, we want to run with the rabbit and hunt with the hound. You want to be on both? You'd have to be a dog person, I guess, to understand that. We <laughs> wanted to be on both sides of the equation, with live our life with one foot planted firmly in the world and one foot planted firmly in the church. And we think, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's the way it's going to be. Then I can go to church on Sunday and have all the blessings. And then, uh, no, what we do is we end up being pulled apart. Today we're going to begin looking at the second part of Hosea's message. The first part was the introduction, basically, of God's dysfunctional family by introducing us to the main characters, Hosea and Gomer and his Three children. Tonight we'll see some scenes from a broken home. As these scenes unfold, then God gives us glimpses of what was going on in the 
in the parsonage, I guess we could say. (laughs) Some scenes of what was happening in Hosea's life and how that became then a message to the nation. As he does this, and we'll see this, as Hosea's actions and feelings, the things that he went through, and you remember this didn't happen over a period of days, it wasn't a period of weeks, it was months and months and years and years that this played out. Highs and lows, times of hope and times of heartache. Times when it might seem like, hey, we're going we're gonna to get past this. It's going to all get fine, be fine. And, and times when it was crushed by the reality of this thing playing out over and over and again. And all of it, all of his feelings, all of his actions, everything that was going on, as Hosea became a prophet of God's heart, whatever he is saying became his message and was God's message to the nation. So tonight we see a time when sorrow turns to hope. When his sorrow turned to hope. You'll see that again in our text. Let's look at it, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them, You're not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, My people... And to your sisters, mercy is shown. Oh, what a great message. A time when sorrow turns to hope. So while Hosea would live through the pain of that relationship that was disintegrating around him, living through the pain of having to go and preach this message with these three children who no doubt called him daddy, It would appear, though, that after the birth of Loami, maybe Loami, maybe the little boy's birth, and everything seemingly coming out into the open, it seemed that things seemed to get better for a little while. Maybe Gomer, and, and I'm just speculating here, and I'll label it strictly as such, trying to figure out how this hopeful message could come out of this time of such darkness. Maybe Gomer, confronted and exposed, would have determined to change, promised to be a better wife and a better mother. <clears throat> We've seen that ourselves. When a relationship goes bad and a family moves down the road to dysfunction and destruction, there are times then when maybe things begin to give hope. And anyone who's ever been involved with a person involved in destructive and sinful behavior and a sinful lifestyle knows how that hope can burst into your life when it seems like that someone is finally changing. Hey, it's finally going to be better. They've made a decision. They've turned a corner. (laughs) They're turning away from all of that sin and evil and they're getting things right. You know how that feels when you see it play out in the life of somebody you love. Hosea had those feelings of hope about Gomer, about a future for their family, impossible as it may have once seemed. Those feelings then became the basis of a message. The message that's here in our text tonight, a message promising restoration 
for the nation of Israel. God, you see, was able to look across time. And aren't you glad we serve a God that can do that, by the way? God was able to look across time and across many centuries to a yet distant future. It's getting closer all the time. But it's still yet a time when Israel would indeed return to him. A time when they would cease to wonder. A time when they would be everything he intended for them to be. When God speaks of Israel's distant future, that future that is yet to be fulfilled, he gives four marvelous promises in our text. And as he does so, and remember, since Hosea's family is intertwined with God's message for the nation, then this isn't just a a message about uh, just Israel. This is a message about what a family rightly related to God and to each other can be. So if God's dysfunctional family was himself in Israel, and if Hosea and Gomer and Their three children were a picture of that. Out of that story then, God gives us this marvelous message about what a family can be. One of the worst things about growing up in a dysfunctional family is that the members of that family don't know that there's anything else. You talk to the children, they they don't know. It's just the life they live. Uh, You see that in the children of addicts. You know, what kind of life do they live? It's a life where mom and dad get high all the time. Uh, Where they don't have enough food to eat because mom and dad are spending all the money on drugs. They don't have the clothes they want to wear because, uh, I mean, they should say, well, what is it? It's their life. Try to get those kids out of it. See how hard they work to try to get back into it. That's their life. It's all they know. It's that dysfunctional family. They don't know anything else. What do they need? They desperately need to see, to see an example of what a healthy marriage and a healthy healthy family can be. How a healthy people behave, how people rightly related to God and to each other actually live. They need to see it. They need to know that something else is available. What is a healthy family like then? And God gives us four beautiful promises. <laughs> this of all situations to illustrate what a healthy family can be. For a while, there was hope. It seemed like Gomer had repented and changed. And God used this to give a message of hope to his people. Four things. First of all, God promises them fruitfulness. Verse 10. Yet the number of the children shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Under the Old Testament economy, you see, blessings were measured by the number of children and the number of cattle one possessed. Presumably, the number of children was much preferred over the number of cattle. A rich man was a person who had lots of kids and and lots of cattle. 
Uh, he was a very, very wealthy person. Under the New Testament economy, God presents his blessings to his people under the idea of a person who is spiritually fruitful, but still fruitful. And it's interesting that God describes these blessings as something then that cannot be measured or numbered. Uh, these are blessings that cannot be contained or counted. They can't be measured. That is, they can't be put in a box and they can't be numbered. They can't be counted. They can't blessings that cannot be contained or counted. By the fact that these blessings on a family that is rightly related to God and to each other cannot be contained. What God is telling us then is that God can bless your family. He can bless my family in a way that becomes obvious to everybody else around. You can't keep it a secret. Everybody else knows it. They can see it. They can see that something is different about your household. Something is different about your kids. Something is, is being blessed there. Something is different. One of the most precious things that can ever happen to you as a believer is to have somebody come up to you and say, you know, I want what you got. I, I, want, I want my marriage to be like your marriage. I want my, my children to be like your children. And I'm not talking about that phony Facebook kind of stuff. We've talked about that before. No offense. No offense. Don't get mad at me. I'm just, y'all know how we all smile and, and get all gussied up to take that perfect picture on Facebook. We know that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the real deal. Uh, a, a family that is blessed so much that even your children talk about it. I mean, now that's a kind of blessing. That's amazing. God says this is a blessing that I'm going to bring to you that cannot be contained. And then it is something that can't be counted. Your house will be full. It'll be running over with blessing. There is something more and it's touching others by the fact that it can't be counted. That means that it's something that can't be bought. Money can't buy it. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Oh, if money could buy the blessings of God. I'm not going to pre preach this morning's sermon, but if money could buy it, then every rich family all over this country would be a place of incredible happiness and joy and blessing and fruitfulness, and the blessings of God would just be all over them. But that's not the case. Let's remind ourselves for a moment that by the world's standards, most everybody, every household in America is materially rich. Let's remember that in our world, there's whole households that live a whole year, even today, on less than $100 a year of income. Think about that for a minute. You say, well, everybody in these other countries, they all think we're rich. We are. Look at the houses we live in, the vehicles we drive. When you get down to the point that with cars, the price they are today, and gas, the price they are today, and we've got more cars in our house than we got people. That's telling us something. To measure something, then it has to be put in a measuring device. If it's going to be counted, uh, it's going to have to be something then that can be counted, but the blessings of God go beyond that. They're what men, money can't buy. Materially, then, 
as Americans, we have been greatly blessed. And remember that Hosea was prophesying in a time when Israel had been greatly, greatly blessed. Uh, They had formed some military alliances. They had experienced several years of very fruitful crops. They, They were monetarily blessed. But maybe we're beginning to get a little sense tonight of the fact that monetary blessings can be gone like that. That can all turn around just like that. They certainly did in Israel. The blessings that God promises to the family rightly related to him and to each other then go far beyond monetary blessings. What are then some of the blessings that God promises us that you can't buy? God promises them a fruitfulness, a fruitful blessing. Then he promises them acceptance. It shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. Say to your brethren, My people, and to your sisters, Mercy is shown. Acceptance. Where sin then and rejection and rebellion had brought children suffering under the awareness of a broken relationship and a broken home, yet the restoration God promises brings acceptance. One of the greatest things about a family is acceptance. Sin separates, sin kills, sin destroys, sin alienates. But where people are right with God and right with each other, there can be a marvelous reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the passage I quote to you a lot. It's one of my favorites because it gives to us such profound truth that we need to hear it again and again and again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of Reconciliation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Every fall, if you have trees in your yard, or even if you're driving around the neighborhood or out in the community, you'll see other trees. If, If you don't have any in your yard, and every fall something happens, the leaves turn colors, eventually turn brown, and then they turn loose. And they fall, right? Isn't that how it goes? They turn colors, they turn brown, and then they turn loose. All except for a few. Have you ever noticed that? There'll always be a handful that don't turn loose. So let me ask you, did any of y'all get your ladder out and go up there and pick those other leaves off that tree so it'll be good and bare? Do you ever worry yourself or trouble yourself thinking, man, I've got to get rid of them dead leaves on there because, you know, springs are coming. And uh, There'll always be a few that don't go, but you know what happens to them? Every year the same thing happens to those dead leaves. Every year. As the sap begins to rise up in that tree around the ground, it begins to draw it out, and it begins to put on new life. You know what happens? That new life pushes those old leaves right off every time. 
And the only time that that doesn't happen, you know why it doesn't happen? You say, well, there's a whole limb up there that's still got dead leaves on it. You know why? Because that limb is dead. Right? Got hit by lightning, storm broke it off. It's still up there. It looks like it's fine, but it's not. That limb's dead. See, that new life pushes off the old. One of the fun things we used to do in school when I was growing up was involve the daffodils. And I know we should have left them alone, but we did it. And once they taught us you could do it, I wanted to do it every year until I got too old to do it. And just thinking about it, honestly, has got me thinking about going out and do it again. Cut one of them things out, take it home, put it in a little vase, get you some blue food coloring. Put it in that yellow daffodil. Amazing things happen as you watch that blue just suck up into that flower. Turns the thing beautiful shade of what? Green. Yeah. You see, all things become new, this passage tells us, and then it tells us a vital piece of information that for the most part we don't put in. That these all things are of God. The all things that become new in us are of God. They're from God. So that that new life that He puts in us, the all things that are of God, then begins to work in us. And it begins to push away those dead things of the old man and the old corrupt nature. It begins to change us so that we look different. Can't be hidden all things of God are pushing out the all things that were of ourselves. And because of that, because this then becomes an obvious thing to us, then Paul tells us that God has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, there's no limit to what the love of God can do in a person's life. There's no limit to the amount of change that he can bring to a person, to an individual, to a family, or to a nation. We'll see that play out in this promise as well because God tells them, you know, there was a place where you were called, not mine. But now, he says, you're going to be mine. My people. To your sister that was named No Mercy, uh, no more, because mercy has been shown. What we see then play out in Hosea's family is the marvelous truth of the New Testament known as adoption. Adoption. You see, adoption meant then, and it means today, it is a process by which those who are not blood children can become children. Full-fledged children and heirs. So that those alienated and estranged can be brought under this marvelous place of love and acceptance. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption. There it is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, tells us this was God's plan all along, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And so at this moment in time, then, God would speak to Hosea, and God would speak through Hosea, so that even those children who were not his would become his. Isn't that a great story? Because that same God has provided a way for you and I, who are not His children, to become His children. So that we who were alienated from God and separated from God, what Ephesians chapter 2 says, that time when we were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, we have been reconciled. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the glorious truth of the adoption. The glorious truth that God then has made us accepted in Jesus Christ. So there's the promise of fruitfulness to that family that is rightly related to God and to each other. So that God gives them blessings that cannot be counted or contained. But then there's that marvelous truth of acceptance. So that those who are alienated from him, those who are not his, can become his. Then there is the marvelous truth, a promise of unity. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. You see, Hosea was prophesying during a time when Israel, when the nation was divided. Southern kingdom, northern kingdom, it had happened generations before, you know, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, split. It, it, it was a, it was a ser- terrible, terrible time. So bad that there actually ended up being a temple in Jerusalem and another temple in Samaria. Bad, bad, bad deal. There would come a time then where God promises that this whole thing is going to be replaced. This time of division is going to be replaced by time of unity. Isn't the desire for unity deeply ingrained in all of us? Especially when it comes to the subject of family. Homes filled with strife are a terrible burden. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse 1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. It's impossible except for us to consider that the problem between Hosea and Gomer would spill over into the lives of their children. No child enjoys hearing and seeing a fight going on between mom and daddy. Shatters their security. But even when things are right between mom and daddy, then there can still be problems between the siblings, the children so that they might not be able to get along or they might not be able to accept one another. And the the whole premise of adoption then, we know, can bring together some complicated, complex situations. But when people get right with God, there's a foundation then upon which they can be right with each other. That's why 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us this is the commandment, not suggestion. This is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 
Oh, what did God tell us to do? Believe on Jesus Christ and, and love one another. Uh, let me tell you that again. You know what God says to do? Believe on Jesus Christ and love one another. Let me tell you this group. Believe on Jesus Christ and, and love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Do I need to say it again? Love one another. And believe on Jesus Christ and love one another. See, God has created a, a means through Jesus Christ. So that there would not only be adoption and acceptance, we could be accepted into the family, but then amazingly, the family can get along, and God intends for us to. No children like to see their parents fight. Parents don't like to see their kids fight neither. Especially when they're grown. I mean, it's tough when they're little kids. But when they're little kids, you can always sit them down in the same chair and make them sit there until they say, I'm sorry, and give each other a hug. It don't help nothing. <laughs> it maybe helps a little. <clears throat> but when they get grown, it's heartrending. When people are rightly related to God and rightly related to each other, then there can be a situation where this family can enjoy unity. And I say this every business meeting so far that I've been pastor of Faith Missionary Baptist Church. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Then lastly, he promises them identity. Identity. Verse 11, they would appoint for themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. The head that will be appointed for the nation in this passage is pictured by Hosea's son Jezreel. But undoubtedly looks beyond him to Jesus Christ. And the fact that Israel will one day accept Jesus. And that is, of course, the greatest blessing of any family to become the kind of family where everybody in the house gets saved. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is. And then when it goes beyond that, when God is, is blessing us and using us and working in us so that we begin to enjoy as a family those blessings that can't be contained or counted so that it spills over to our neighbors and it spills over to our friends and it spills over to our classmates in school. It's such a terrible thing in our culture today that people will look at these blessings and benefits and call it privilege. It's not privilege. Not when you're a blood-bought child of God, it's not. What it is is the blessings of God that can't be counted or contained. To be a family of acceptance, a family of unity, a family devoted to Jesus Christ and known to be a family where there's one head and that head is Jesus Christ. Into this message then of God's dysfunctional family, Portrayed by Hosea and Gomer in their marriage and their kids. God interjects this message of hope. He does that over and over again in the prophets. God's design set 
in stark contrast to his judgment so that there's a promise of a judgment, that there's a promise of restoration and blessing. We learned in tonight we can choose sin and rebellion. We can be a people devoted to prosperity at any cost, forgetting God every step of the way, enjoying the pleasure of season, uh, trying to live our life with one foot planted in the church and the other foot planted in the world. But if we do, our family will pay a horrible price. It just happens. The second scene from this broken home is one we'll consider next week. Because we need to understand, and I, I don't want to leave you with uh, thinking, well, it's all over and everything's going to be happy ever after. Uh, no, that's not the story of Hosea. Mm -mm. And so, while tonight we have this first scene, and uh, it is a scene when sorrow turns to hope, when hurt turns to hope. But then there's another scene, and it comes right on the heels of this, when hope turns to hostility. Verse 2, Hosea chapter 2, Bring charges against your mother, bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her side and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children. For they are the children of harlotry. When hope turns to hostility. That's our message next week. We're thankful that God intersperses his messages of judgment with messages of hope. That gives us hope. It reminds us that God is a merciful God and a long-suffering God. It reminds us that there was hope for Hosea and Gomer. There was. We'll see it play out. Just as there was hope for Israel, we've seen that play out too, but nothing like what we'll see one day. Oh, I want to remind you tonight of the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, if the casting away or turning away of Israel has brought in this time of the Gentiles in, what do you think is going to happen when they have their fullness? Oh, not much. It's life from the dead, that's all. Oh, this world will be brought into a state of fullness and blessing when Israel is in its rightful place and restored to God and Jesus Christ is ruling on the throne of David and we're going to live and reign with him a thousand years. What a time that's going to be. When the lion will lay down with the lamb. You can go fishing and all you'll catch is big slab crappie. I, I made that up. It's a time of blessings and benefits. A time when we will enjoy a world that's made right because Jesus rules over it. Yeah. Oh, what a time of blessing and fullness that'll be. There was hope, you see, for Israel. There still is. Just like there was hope for Hosea and Gomer. And I'm going to tell you tonight, there's hope for families in America today. We look at little Jezreel, and my, can a family be scattered by sin? We look at little no mercy, no compassion, and my, can't families get so messed up that their parents don't give 
any care, any concern for their kids. My, can't we see that? Isn't it horrible when we see families growing up and children being raised without a daddy who won't have nothing to do with his own kids? Isn't it horrible? Oh, how sin can scatter family. But I want you to know there is hope for your family. I'm not trying to tell you tonight that if you get saved, all of your problems are going to miraculously, instantly going to go away. That's not the message. But I'll tell you what is the message. The message is that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that life of God begins to work in you so that old things are pushed away and all things become new. Where once you faced all of that alone, now you face it with the power of God and the blessing of God. And where once your family was scattered, you can be a family full of blessing. A blessing that can't be counted and cannot be contained. A blessing that's obvious to others. What a change that Jesus Christ has made. There was hope for Hosea and Gomer. There was hope for Israel. And there's hope for all of us as well.